0: In this podcast, we'll be discussing what steps employers can take to meet their health and safety obligations in the context of domestic abuse. This matter has come to light during the pandemic with the advent of such increased working from home on a prolonged basis. And we'll discuss why it's important for an employer to be aware of this, the signs an employer should look out for, and what an employer can do to assist employees. I'd like to introduce first Nicola Sharp, jess OBE, founder and CEO of charity Surviving Economic Abuse. Good morning Nicola, how are you?
1: Hi Emma, thanks for inviting me to be part of today's discussion.
0: Oh, It's great to have you here, thank you for joining. And I'd also like to introduce my second guest, Mikkel Dissing, CEO of Panic Guard Limited. Hi Mikkel.
2: Hi Emma, thank you very much for having me on this podcast.
0: Oh, amazing, thank you. And we'll also be talking with my colleague Pierre Sanchez, Senior Consultant at CM Murray. Domestic abuse hit the headlines during lockdown last year with the UN declaring it an emergency. In January 2021, Business Minister Paul Scully made a call to action for all UK employers to do more to help colleagues who are victims of domestic abuse. The incidence of domestic abuse has spiked in 2020 to 2.4 million, and while 2020 was a difficult year for most, during the pandemic many employees became home workers, making it difficult for victims to get away from perpetrators of domestic abuse. Hi, Clear. Hello. Um, Can you talk about how reasonable Paul Scully's call to action was and what duties an employer might have in this regard?
3: So there is a general duty which is implied by common law for employers to take reasonable care of the health and safety of their employees and under statute we have the Health and Safety at Work Act which requires employers to ensure so far as is reasonably practicable the health and safety and the welfare of its employees so these duties mean that the employer needs to take reasonable steps to look after the welfare both mental and physical of their staff Um, in terms of how to comply with health and safety legislation employers need to be proactive so take active steps rather than being reactive. And this would include supporting initiatives uh, that um that help the physical and mental well-being of, of employees. And domestic abuse at home is a part of this. So since March 2020, when the pandemic began, many of us have been working from home. And a lot of employers have introduce measures to not only look after their employees, but to build employee engagement and hopefully encourage staff retention. So we have seen measures to combat some of the difficulties of working from home, such as stress, loneliness, anxiety, um, the difficulty of drawing boundaries between home and work life. And some employers have increased their kind of one-to-ones with employees, for example, set up online yoga classes, uh, provided free counselling, etc. to to encourage um, and provide for a safe place of work. Employers have a duty to conduct risk assessments. And the purpose of a risk assessment is to identify any hazards in the workplace and to put in place measures to minimise these. So employers should be looking out for signs of domestic abuse and consult with employee representative bodies and trade unions to implement a policy to raise awareness of the issue and also to provide information to signpost um, where employees concerned about this can, can get help. And this year we saw uh, the Domestic Abuse Act uh, come into force, which significantly has a definition on economic abuse. And Nicola can tell us more about this and why it's so important.
1: Yeah, thanks, Pia. And as you say, the Domestic Abuse Act is really significant because what it does for the first time is define what we mean by domestic abuse in statute, as you said. And I think this really goes back to an employer's ability to recognise domestic abuse and how a victim or survivor might be experiencing it. Um, Because, again, I think as a society, generally, we might be looking for bruises and cuts and physical injury, which is generally how people think about domestic abuse. But as you said in your intro just then, domestic abuse is more than just physical abuse. Um, It also includes economic abuse um, alongside emotional abuse and often sexual abuse as well. And it's very rare that we see any of those forms of abuse happen in isolation. There may be specific incidents, and of course, a physical assault will always be wrong. But for a lot of victims and survivors, what they experience in terms of domestic abuse is a pattern of abuse. So a pattern of coercive and controlling behaviour. And that control is exerted in lots of different ways. So that might be physical threat, harm, intimidation. um, It might be emotionally um, wearing down someone's self-esteem and self-confidence. Um, It might be sexual abuse, and it also might be ways of controlling through economic abuse. Um, So when I talk about economic abuse, again, it's a little bit of um, a story in terms of why the statutory definition is so important. Um, And that's because up until now, we've always operated um, in relation to a policy. Uh, definition of domestic abuse. So government and um, different agencies have had their own policy understandings of what domestic abuse is. So creating this statutory definition creates a consistency of understanding across the piece. And for us it was significant because the policy definition would generally refer to financial abuse. And financial abuse we understand to be the control of money and finances. Um, And when the domestic abuse Bill, as it was um, several years ago, was introduced, we argued that this was an opportunity to really expand that understanding so that the actual experiences of victims and survivors would be reflected in legislation. Because what we knew from our own experience was that, of course, victims and survivors were controlled in terms of their um, ability uh, to manage finances and um, money, but also they were um, unable to control their economic resources more broadly. And by those, I mean mean things like housing, transportation, food, clothing, uh, technology, basically anything that has any kind of economic worth. So those things that money can buy. And as I said, we knew from our experience that victims and survivors were experiencing um, difficulties in controlling all of those things. And that really limited their freedoms. Um, As you can imagine, if you can't just take your car keys and get in the car and go and see a friend, um, if you can't phone a friend to arrange to have a coffee with them, if you don't have money um, to be able to pay for that coffee, um, it starts to create um, situations where someone can't live the life that they want to. Um, They become isolated. They don't have support from Uh, social and familial networks. So it sounds quite insignificant, but in many ways, the ability to have access to those economic resources creates those freedoms and those opportunities to potentially remove yourself from a dangerous situation um, where there might be physical abuse. So that was why it was so important for um, surviving economic abuse, that economic abuse was named within the new statutory definition. And as I said, I think this wider understanding really lends itself to employers um, being able to pick up on the signs of domestic abuse, which previously without that knowledge, they might not have recognised. Um, as being a form of domestic abuse and being able to pick up on in terms of being able to kind of reach out to a victim and survivor, um, in this case an employee, and offer their support.
0: Thank you. I think it's really important to um, raise awareness on greater understanding on economic abuse and and what that means in this context. But Nicola, um, from your perspective, why should employers be more alive to this? And what are the signs that employers might want to pick up on Um, to identify this type of coercive behaviour.
1: Thanks, Emma. Again, I think Pia really picked up on a really important issue here is that for a lot of victims and survivors who do work, um, work represented a safe space, so a place of respite from the abuser, but also a place where they could access um, support from either the employer or using employer resources, potentially, you know, an office and a telephone during a lunchtime to actually access specialist domestic abuse support. So that's why it's really significant, because employers, as um, the Minister Paul Scully said, um, as part of the consultation around what employers could do to support victims and survivors of domestic abuse, is that there's um, an opportunity for an employer to act as a bridge um, between that worker and the support that they need. So it's hugely important that an employer um, is able to recognise this is an issue that will be affecting a large number of their staff um, one in four women and one in six men will experience domestic abuse in their lifetime so it's very very likely that people working for you um, will be experiencing this issue Um, and certainly what we say at surviving economic abuse is that if you're talking about this issue, thinking about it, um, perhaps putting a policy in place, what you do is provide a context where not only are you looking for signs that a victim or a survivor um, is working within your organisation, but you're also creating a context where they might feel confident enough to actually um, confide in you and to disclose that they're experiencing abuse. Um, And what I would say as well, and again this is quite significant in terms of the domestic abuse bill and the work that surviving economic abuse did on it, is a lot of abuse can continue post-separation. So again as a society we would just say, you know, why don't you just leave, Um, because there's an expectation that the abuse would end um, when somebody leaves an abuser. Um, But again, as the domestic abuse definition demonstrates, this is all about power and control. And so what abusers try to do is continue to exert that control after a victim or survivor has left because ultimately they want to make their life difficult enough so that they would return. And again, economic abuse in relation to this context is particularly important because it's kind of one of those forms of abuse um, that is easy to perpetrate post separation because you don't necessarily need that physical proximity um, in the same way that you would physical abuse. Um, But certainly I know we'll go on to talk about stalking and other behaviours. And again, this is why it's really relevant to the workplace, um, because if the victim or survivor continues to work in the same place, having left an abuser, uh, the abuser knows where they are and they might do things like start hanging around, um, perhaps harassing colleagues, um, perhaps trying to gain access to the victim or survivor. So it's really important that we kind of recognise this in the round, as it were, because it's going to be impacting every aspect of that person's life. You know. physical injury the emotional impact which could lead to things like sickness absenteeism being late not being able to perform in the work context so not only is it important you know from um, a moral perspective obviously we want to care you know about this well-being and safety of your employees but actually there's you know a really clear business case as well as to why you would want to support a victim or a survivor um, because fundamentally if you're not supporting their well-being they're not going to be able to perform in the workplace. Uh, So it's really, really important. And um, there'll be a number of signs that you might be able to pick up on. Um, So a victim or survivor might feel or appear withdrawn, frightened. um, They might stop socialising. Their appearance might change. Um, They might also be indicating signs of economic abuse. So saying things perhaps like um, their partner's in control of the money, that they're struggling a little bit um, financially at the moment. There's lots of different ways in which um, an employer might be able to pick up someone's experiencing domestic abuse from the way they're presenting at work. So as I say, just a real opportunity um, to kind of reach in, to ask questions. You don't have to be direct, you can just say something along the lines of, you know what, I'm a bit worried about you, is everything okay at home? Um, And as I say, also providing a context where a victim or survivor who might be struggling feels that actually they can talk to their employer and receive a supportive response if they need one.
0: Thank you. Um, figures that you just described are quite worrying but also it's really helpful i think for employers and managers to be aware of the changes in somebody's characteristics demeanor and their general attitude for work may change as as they become more deeply affected by this i'm really delighted to um now speak with michael who founded panic guard uh, as a means of assisting victims of domestic abuse and michael i really welcome
2: you to describe to our listeners what Panic scar is and how it can protect victims of domestic violence. Yes, thank you. Um, firstly, again, thank you for having me on, on, on this podcast. I mean, essentially, I, I found that the Panic a little over 10 years ago, but I know it's, honestly, it's with a simple focus of keeping people safe or women safe, particularly at all the all times. And quite frankly, where the kernel the idea came from was one night I was driving someone home, a babysitter home, and it so happens to be the same, exact the same amount with them forced an incident that Sarah Everett happened. I mean, literally within maybe 100 yards or so where the idea of Panigat came from. But essentially what, what PennyGuide is, it's a technology company, uh, and we try to use technology for good. Uh, that's literally what we're trying to do. And the center we provide is a platform called Secure, uh, that's secure with a set, by the way, in case you, <laughs> Uh, misspell it. but I mean our, our platform is used you know, all over the world in 16 languages and, and so forth but really what it's about it is to make sure that we cover as many angles as we possibly can so we can't so much help with the so the uh, financial abuse uh, that we just Nickel just talked about but we, we're really around trying to get you help wherever you are whenever you are so in the simplest form is an app to sit in the phone. And it has direct access to the police uh, uh, through a call center. We endorsed by the, for instance, Domestic Abuse Commission. lots of police forces and users all over the place. And it's branded in different guises. So you may have heard about HollyGuard. It's a domestic charity that we work very closely with. They use our technology as well uh, to safeguard about 300,000 people here in the UK from domestic abuse and stalking. And you could, you could think of it as a panic button, which it is. But much more than that, it's also about an ability for you to collect evidence, which is one of the hardest things, particularly when it's, if you're being stalked, uh, to prove that your stalker is basically stalking you all the time. So all the evidence that's collected through our platform, our technology, is admissible, admissible. Sorry, uh, to the Crown Prosecution Services and proved by them. And that's also why the, the various police forces and the domestic abuse commissions work with us, simply because it's a simple way for you as a victim of domestic abuse or in a vulnerable situation, you can report anonymously or not anonymously uh, all kinds of things that happened to you. And all those things basically builds up a record so that when it comes to court, you have a much stronger case of getting a stronger restraining order, putting a person away. And for instance, right now, we have three or four active investigations going on based on the evidence we collected. So that, that's in simple terms what it is. And obviously everything we do is GDPR compliant, uh, and we have users, uh, customers all the way from Saddles and British Airways, uh, down to housing associations or local charities. So it's, it's a very wide range of use cases here, but the fundamental thing is it's all around making it as easy and simple and effective as possible to help victims of domestic abuse and stalking. That's really, that's, that's all it's about. Now, that's really what we focus on from day one until today.
0: Thank you. Some of the um, features of your um, app, I seem to recall, are are very unique, and it allows domestic abuse to um, undertake the recordings of what might be happening in a very covert way. Do you want to just take two minutes to explain?
2: Yes, of course. So uh, we record uh, evidence, if you like, in lots of different ways. For instance, if you set off an alert, uh alert can be done either by shaking a phone, holding down a button. Or we have also wearable things and uh, so forth, and uh, and also we can detect if you have a let's say a car crash, a certain impact, or you fall or something like that. We can set up alerts for you. What happens then is that we record in real time audio and video. Obviously, everything is geotagged and timestamped, so we know exactly where and when and by who it was recorded. And what's important also to stress here that none of the evidence is stored on the device; it's all stored in secure cloud. Because there are situations in which well, there's co-reversal controlled by domestic abuse, uh, a domestic abuser, Sorry, uh, he or she may want to control your phone. And if they look at the phone, there'll be no evidence there at all. Uh, and so, so that they can't just delete it should they want to. Uh, another feature I think the one you're talking about is in the app, you easily go in and report anything that's happened to you. We have a whole uh, range of categories that you can choose from. Um, and then you you going to attach pictures. Of, let's say you've been abused again, like and there's something going on, and you smashed the window, or wh- whatever it happens to be. But all that uh, comes in in a very nice and simply uh, digestible form, uh, and it creates like, almost like a diary for you. So, so that should you ever go to the local police force and try to get a restraining order, you can, you can literally show you, let's call it a diary for argument, sake say what's happened over the last week, two weeks, three weeks and that makes it a lot easier to get convictions and, uh, and essentially higher and stronger conviction rates which we have proven on, over, over the many 10 years we've been here.
0: Thank you and um, you mentioned that you'd worked with um, certain employers are already working with your app, how, how does the employer support that?
2: It's, um, I mean they do it differently, not, not all employers are the same of course, but generally speaking, they do what's called an enterprise license. They buy uh, X number of licenses. They can then think about like a voucher card almost, like a scratch card. So, so that you can go out. Uh, so you make that service available to your entire staff. And you can either recommend it or someone can just come up to a list the HR man and say, I would like to participate in this. And then anonymously, they'll send a link or, or, or given a voucher code. And then simply just download the app, put the code in. And then, just like that, they have direct access uh, to the police forces and ambulance services and so forth. So it's normally a central HR department that will buy, and they will then distribute it out rather than um, uh, telling everybody. Because it's obviously very hard to ask someone if a victim of domestic abuse has been asked, are you being, are you under domestic abuse? Quite often, they'll say no; that they'll deny it uh, if they're confronted with it. But if they anonymously, in, Send uh, a request uh, for access to the service, uh, service to the HR department, they're more likely to do so. So it's really important, and um, which we work very hard on, to make sure that this quality user engagement is as high as possible because it's a very volatile situation you're dealing with here. So th- that's how we normally do it.
0: Um, as um, HR and employers are listening to this podcast, can I ask um, Nicola, if I can go to you first, what your um main takeaways or your top tips for them would be in um, assisting staff who may be victims of domestic abuse?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Emma. So um, there's a lot of things that employers can do, um, as we've already sort of touched on. Um, And the first thing really is to recognise that you're not responsible for dealing with this issue on your own. It can be sort of really difficult and really scary. So I'd really recommend that any employer reaches out to a specialist organisation to get support in terms of how to do this. Um, and to be able to kind of work together in the area. And probably a really important thing to do is actually start by training staff um, around domestic abuse and what it is. Um, so perhaps sort of HR kind of line managers, uh, just so people, you know, do understand the definition um, and what to look for um, and what signs might look like. As I said, really important as well, that kind of invitation to tell. So if you're in a situation where you can create a domestic abuse policy, you know, that's a really um, strong sign to either perspective um, employee or someone who's with you currently um that actually this is something that the organization takes seriously and that there is a process in place um you know if this is something that they are experiencing um either to disclose um or you know if something happens and um it becomes you know very clear perhaps an abuser turns up at the workplace for example um there's kind of a framework within which that might be responded to um, I suppose it's also worth mentioning, of course, that, you know, you're going to be employing perpetrators as well as victims. Um, and also a lot of people do meet at work. So, you know, to have a framework and a policy is actually quite important. If you're in the situation where you'd also be trying to manage two employees, um, you know, perhaps one who's perpetrating the abuse and you know the impact that might have in terms of you know, reputation of the firm, etc. Um, so, you know, having something formal in place, I think, is really important to be able to um, respond to lots of different scenarios like that. We always recommend doing some comms work um, around this area as well, because again, and depending on what kind of organisation is taking this forward, people still have real stereotypes around who a victim or a survivor, or in fact, who a perpetrator is. Um, You know, victims, survivors, perpetrators do come from all different walks of life. And quite often, again, when you start talking about this issue or perhaps introducing training, you find a lot of people feel safe to disclose that that might have been one of their experiences for the first time. Not something that they've talked to you about before. Um, and that can be really um, important and I think really powerful um, because if individuals speak out about their experiences, people recognise this can happen to anybody, you know, someone in a position of power. Um, you know a manager someone high up in an organization it doesn't mean that they don't have life challenges as well so it can really encourage and give people confidence um, also to kind of share their experiences and to perhaps identify their experiences perhaps for the first time as domestic abuse so that's really important as well Um, and again the next thing really is as I said, not to recognize, you know, to recognize that you can do things to support a victim or survivor, but you can't do everything. So, you know, find ways of linking a victim or survivor or a perpetrator who might want to change their behavior in with specialist services who can provide sort of the best support in relation to that. And, you know, you might also be able to put information on your um, intranet, um, you know, other places around the work premises, for example. So, the, um, you know, app that Mikhail just been talking about, you know, that's something that you might be able to sort of publicise on your um, intranet so the victims and survivors are aware of it. So even if they don't want to disclose that this is what they are experiencing, they do know what support's available for them. And then finally, I would just say, you know, um, the reason why we're sort of so involved in the um, employee space is because you know any kind of abuse that stops somebody from going to work which sabotages their employment you know is economic abuse in and of itself um, and again you know a perpetrator quite often does this deliberately because they don't want the survivor you know to have an access to an independent income to be in a position where they'd be able to rebuild their life independently going forward um, so anything you can do as an employee to make things um, easier for an employee is really important. Again. So we've worked with a lot of firms, you know, who put real practical support in place. You know, so flexibility to go to the police and make a report, flexibility to attend court um, appearances, Um, psychological support. So perhaps, you know, some counselling via an employee assistance programme. And again, economic support, which is really, really um, important because a lot of victims and survivors might have to move house. um, They might have unexpected um, court Um, fees for example so again we work with a lot of the employers who um, ensure that there's paid leave if somebody does need to take time off sort of over and above their allowances so that they're not kind of penalized for kind of trying to deal with the domestic abuse um, while they're working. Um, They can provide access to an emergency fund. Um, Perhaps if someone's been stopped from um, accessing financial resources, perhaps they don't have control over their own bank account. You know, emergency money can be made available by an employer, which makes a huge difference. And certainly, you know, during COVID, a lot of employers were thinking about offering safe accommodation for those who might need to flee and might not be able to go to a women's refuge or a hotel because of some of the difficulties in accessing um, that kind of housing at this time. So there's just so much um, that an employer can do to make a real difference. Um, And I just end by saying as well that for anyone who's kind of outwardly facing in terms of what their business does, Um, You know, it's important to recognise that customers, clients might similarly be experiencing domestic abuse. In fact, I say most likely will be experiencing domestic abuse. So, again, if you're going to look after your employees, there's a recognition that they might themselves have to support somebody, um, you know, in that situation. Um, So it's really important that we would we would say to really put an equal emphasis on supporting both your colleagues, but, you know, your customers, your clients, because it's only by sort of supporting everyone that, you know, we can make sure that everyone is well. And, you know, just create a society where, you know, there is that freedom um, that people can choose, you know, the lives that they want to lead. And they're not constrained in any way because that support's not available to help them exit a situation that they don't want to be in.
0: Thank you, Nicola. I'm fairly certain that you have just inspired many employers, hopefully, to to do more. Um, and the range of steps that they can that can be taken um, are huge. And your charity has entirely supported employers victims of economic abuse uh, as well as lobbying uh, and the, the change in the law is very welcome at this stage so thank you very much for taking the time to run through all of that um, in a nutshell for us uh, Michael, did, did you have any closing thoughts um, and recommendations for employers
2: well i think uh, Nicola pretty much said it uh, i mean i think the most important thing is communication you know, I'm in this weird situation where I hope nobody would ever use my product, uh, which is a, a strange situation to be in because that mean that wouldn't be a domestic abuse, but unfortunately, that's the reality of life at the moment. So I couldn't agree more. The communication and openness and a willingness to engage in this situation is, is, is paramount. But what Secure of Handicard of offers is, is a tool to help you maybe formalize and structure and, and Proactively help your employees to be even safer and and have that comfort that should, should something really horrific happen. Uh, they always have the police literally just a shake away. But I couldn't couldn't agree more. Communication and, and just taking the stigma away and, and not just having a, a black and white view or, or domestic abuse because there, there are so many facets of it and it and it affects every single aspect of your life. Uh, and it can be very hard to spot. So communication is key and one of the tools you can you can maybe help the communication with would be panic guard. but I'm not going to say here that th- this is the only thing I think communication is the most important thing and we we just we're just happy to help. That's what I will say.
0: Thank you. as um, employment lawyers here mm-hmm. and I are um, frequently speaking with employers and, and looking at their duty of care in relation to providing a safe working environment so both of the um, views that you've uh, brought to this podcast today are really helpful in that respect and I I think um, uh, from my perspective it's it's not for employers to think that they suddenly need to become counsellors it's realistically just recognising that they as part of their statutory duty of care employees health and safety and well-being may be compromised by working predominantly at home or working from home at all or even when Uh, if and when we are fully back in the office that there are still steps that an employer can do to to support. Pia did you have any closing thoughts?
3: Um, Well as part of the piece of being uh, proactive I think it will be important for employers to engage with as Nicola mentioned organisations to see to point to be able to have those links to point staff that need it in the right direction and to consider using some of the technology um, such as Panic Guard that can serve to really um, protect employees who may be in a very difficult and potentially dangerous situation.
0: Thank you. I think as strange as it may seem to have a a prevention of domestic abuse policy for employers to have one of those in place, it it will go a long way to improve communication and awareness um, and as you say provide those all important links and ability for employees to access that support via um, their employer. So, thank you very much for all of your assistance today and um, wishing, wishing everybody a good day. Thank you very much.